Amen. Hey, good morning. Good to see you all. Uh, that is really our prayer, is that God would just revive us and uh, that he would just uh, get the glory and move mightily in our midst. And uh, it's, it's a privilege to, to see him do that. And it's uh, beyond what we can even imagine. You know, this uh, season I've been just kind of having this privilege of being able to share. And Pat and Bell and I are still working together, in case you're wondering. And, and uh, they kind of covered for me when I was on vacation. Uh, and I got a really extended vacation this year, so uh, it's, it's like a, it's something God put on my heart, these whole, this whole idea of just engaging our culture. And, uh, and so I just am thrilled to get the opportunity to kind of share with you. We began that last week, and we're just going to take this on for a season here. But the idea of engaging our culture, I think, is so um, just prevalent to where we are as a society and as a, as a body. And it's something that we so often... Um, just kind of uh, pass by, and we really do have a little limited window to engage our culture in our lifetimes, and uh, it becomes very stark at times. Like for us, it's very stark how, how that window is. But uh, last week, we started Engage Your Culture, and I kind of want to just give you a little background to where we're going for those of you who missed it. And, uh, but a culture is just a way of life of a group of people. Simple definition. Uh, it's kind of like what we believe, how we behave, what we think. Uh, oftentimes, it's, uh, it's kind of things we accept, but we, we generally, it's not like a conscious thing we're thinking about. It's just something we pass on from one generation to the next. And, of course, we have a culture in our nation, a culture in our city, a culture in where you work. There's a culture on your sports team, and uh, there's a culture, you know, in your family. There's a culture in your school. And, and so often, we, uh, we don't really think about that, but the question I really want us to ask ourselves is how, as Christians, do we engage the culture. And every culture has values. Um, of course, you know, in our culture, in our society, we know uh, the values. We talk a lot about the values of power and success and leisure and, and maybe it's uh, self-esteem and, and uh, it's, you know, health or it's physical attraction or whatever. We have these values that we, we strive for. But I think that it's important for us to, if we're going to engage the culture, we have to engage it in context. And so to understand that, we need to understand that, from my opinion, at best, this is a post-Christian culture where we live. And so the Christian church is not the thought leader of our culture. Um, there's Christian influence everywhere. God is God. He has given us uh, the absolute good. And so those are the, the, the real true good things that our culture is built on. We see... But Christianity is kind of on the edges, kind of in the margins of culture. And if you imagine that we live kind of in India um, or somewhere where there's like less than 10% of the people are believers, then um, you have a whole different paradigm as far as what you think of when you go there as a culture. And one thing you don't do is you don't immediately bash the culture, okay, like everything's horrible. Instead, you try and figure out how you can bring the love of Christ into that culture and, uh, and I think we've kind of gained here through the years that, that process of thinking that, that it, we have this right to just kind of bash our culture rather than just really engaging it in love. You, there's times we can confront the idols of our culture. Uh, there's certain idols we have in our culture everywhere uh, that uh, are just kind of universally accepted that we uh, as believers can, can stand up biblically and, and stand up for the things that 
that are in the Word of God. Uh, the truth about marriage, the truth about uh, uh, coveting, okay, which is just a normal part of our culture. Our whole economy re revolves around coveting, okay, and we never even think that that could possibly be sin. And yet, uh, that's something that the Word of God clearly points out, that we're not to covet. We're not to want what everybody else has. And as we come to Christmas season, hey, that's, uh, it's all built on, on coveting and wanting something we don't have. And, and so we, at times, confront those, altar, those, uh, those uh, idols in our, in our culture. But we kind of can figure out, as God allows, to just share the gospel in context. And realize there's kind of always people who don't believe around us. And they look to us. They want to see what it's like to see the love of Christ. They want to see what it's like to, to, to live a Christian life. And so they're looking, they're looking at you. And it's a privilege we have to, to be God's, uh, just his representatives here. When we feel threatened by our culture, our natural response is to be afraid. And I really see so many Christians who are just living in fear today. Afraid of the economy. Afraid of the White House, of the Supreme Court, afraid of the terrorists. And everything is kind of like this imminent threat around us that, that, that everything's going to fall in. And somehow our God can't handle it. Because that's what happens when we think that, uh, that, that God is somehow just left his place. And our God becomes fear. And now we think we better step in for him and we better cover for him just because he might not be able to pull it off. Or maybe he doesn't want to. So we're the ones who have to become the Holy Spirit for people. And instead of trusting the Holy Spirit to convict of sin, we think that's our job. And, and so when we're afraid as believers, you know, we kind of tend to be passive and pull away and just huddle up because we're afraid. Or we become just very relative and you can't tell the difference between a non-Christian and a Christian because we don't want to be uh, seen as different or spoke up for uh, the things of the Word or for Christ. Or we just kind of want to overpower these sinners with righteousness, right? And... Uh, and I know there's a balance. We're children of the light, and God has placed us here in this culture at this season right now to be his, uh, his, uh, his instruments and to allow his love to shine through us in this fallen world. So we have this limited window. So how do we engage the culture for Christ's sake? Now, I think it's important for us to know that, that we are behind enemy lines. We live in a fallen world. That's okay. But it's important for us to know that God wins. Okay? We know the result. It's like if you DVR a football game and you're watching it and you already know who wins. Okay? If you're really engaged in that game, um, you know, you might be really stressed out if your team's behind. Okay? But, but if you know who wins, there's really not any stress. And, and I was given Pat grief this morning about the Packers game this week because they were behind for 60 minutes. Okay? The whole game. And they won. And it's a kind of a typical Packers win, my, I would say, as a Viking fan. But, but they did win, okay? And, and so if you, if you didn't know the outcome of that game and you were a Packers fan watching that game, you'd be kind of stressed out thinking, oh, man, we, there's no hope. But uh, if you're DVR in it, you already know who wins. You're thinking, well, it's going to be interesting to see how this, this ends, okay? Well, the truth is our God wins. We know the end. Amen. We, we know that's true, right? And so we don't have to walk around in fear like somehow God has just given up his place. Somehow he can't control what's going on. And, and we need to realize that, that we have the answer and we can surrender and trust Christ and watch him move. Okay? He is the creator. And we are his creation. He's not threatened by the Supreme Court or by the White House or by the terrorists. Okay? He's on the throne. He is sovereign. 
and every knee will bow before him. Now we need to realize from my perspective, and I think scripture clearly backs it up, that God is not evil. He does not do evil. Okay, he is good. Agathos, we talked about that, right? God is the ultimate good. He's purely good. But yet he arranges evil for his glory, and he uses it for his good. So we can just relax a little bit. And at times he'll call us to withdraw from culture. At times we'll be engaged in culture and enjoy it and go along with it. At other times we will um, stand against culture and um, seek transformation. Okay? It just requires us to surrender to the Holy Spirit. But to engage culture, it's really, to me, critical that we change our paradigms, see how we see the world, and we need to change how we see our God and realize that He is God, okay? He is overall, He is supreme. And we also need to change our paradigm and see how we see those around us. Because those who do not believe in God, those who do not have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, are seeking God, okay? And they're trying to find God in their own way. And we need to realize there's a reason why they're doing it. There's a story behind their story. And if we just stop and realize that, it allows us the opportunity to engage them with the love of Christ. And so as we go out this week, we can just pray for those in our world. We can care about those in our world and just look for opportunities to share what God's doing. It's amazing then to see him move. And as we started last week, and we're going to finish, we're in Genesis chapter 37. God willing, we'll wrap up Genesis 37. And, but we're going to look at the story of Joseph. And so for those of you who missed it, flip open your Bibles to Genesis 37. And, uh, and if you missed last week, I'll kind of give you a little background. Um, you can catch it at, online at rimrockchurch.com. Or you can just say, I don't want to hear that guy speak again, and that's okay as well. I'm, I'm good with that as well, okay? But Genesis 37, just to kind of give you a background of where we're going to, where we're going to pick up our story, okay, is realize, first of all, that, that, that Joseph, his family has history, okay, just like your family has history, right? And his father was Jacob, and Jacob was this, his name meant deceiver, uh, chiseler, Okay, and, and Jacob had spent most of his life just trying to get his own way apart from God. And he had tried, and he'd done it a lot by deceit, um, even stole his brother's blessings, Esau, remember that? And pretty soon, uh, Jacob kind of hits the wall, he wrestles with God, God says, what's your name? He admits his name is Jacob, deceiver, chiseler. In our words, it would be like he's essentially saying, I'm a sinner, okay, I fall short of God, I'm not perfect, I need you, God. And God changes his name to Israel. Okay, God strives or God fights. Now most of you have heard of that name, Israel, right? And, and that's Joseph's father. Okay, that's Joe's father, Israel. Now, this is a messed up family that God chose for his, his people. And this Jacob, whose God changed his name to Israel, had lived quite a life. Remember, we had two wives. They were sisters, Leah and Rachel. He loved Rachel, not Leah. But uh, and Leah was very prolific. She had six boys and one girl, and Rachel's barren, which was really a mark of uh, embarrassment, uh, really beyond that in their society. And so Rachel gives her handmaiden Bildah to, uh, to, uh, to um, Jacob, and she ends up having two sons, and Leah thinks that's a good idea, so she gives Zilphah, and they have two sons, and finally Rachel has this baby, Joseph, okay? So it ends up this story, this history is they have two wives, two concubines, four moms, 11 sons, one daughter. Okay? Now that's a mess, right? It's a messed up family because of the one daughter. (laughs) 
Sorry, I, I, I can't. Just, I, we have four daughters, okay? So, so, and I'm blessed by my daughters. What's that? <laughs> yeah, really messed up family. But I'm blessed with our daughters. So that wasn't the reason the one daughter, right? But, but they have a messed up family. And, and you know, as the story goes on, you, we just looked at some of it. But there's like just these, his brothers commit murder. And there's, there's rape. And there's all these fights. And, and it's just a mess. And Joseph grows up with this bitterness and anger and jealousy and strife in his family okay he's got a messed up family and you can imagine what it would be like and and i just think it's important for us as we kind of start processing this is to realize no matter what your background is god can use you he can use you it's an incredible truth and and and, and god intervenes in joseph's life he gives him these dreams these dreams are really countercultural. if you remember the culture of course the father was the supreme then the older brother's down and, and that's what God does. He intervenes in his life and he says that your father, your mother, uh, all your brothers who are older are going to bow down to you, Joseph. Okay? And, and so he gives him these dreams and, and they really go against culture. And that's often how God works in our lives. He gives us dreams that are countercultural. And of course, his brothers are jealous. They hate him. They're frustrated with him. There's bitterness. Ultimately, really, there's a bitterness and anger against God because God's the one who gave him the dreams. And they didn't like that God gave him the dreams that somehow they were going to bow down to their little brother. And that's really what happens often in our lives. As God gives us a purpose, as he calls us to do something, it doesn't go along with culture often. Oftentimes it doesn't go along with what we would assume uh, the values of our culture are proper. And, uh, you know, and, and he puts things in our lives. Maybe the value of our culture is to covet and want more and more, and God asks us to give away all kinds of stuff. And, you know, that affects the people around us, the people we love. And uh, oftentimes there's persecution there by the religious or by those who love us because we can't see what God's doing. But just know as we kind of start this thing that I know and I believe in my heart that God has a dream for you. He has a dream for every single one of you. And it's an amazing thing to think that this creator created us and designed us and put us here with a purpose. And our life is not our own. And so as we pursue him, we don't have to pursue the dream. We can pursue our God and we end up living the dream. It's amazing. And, and so today, the title of this message is, You Are Sent by Your Father. You Are Sent by Your Father. And we'll pick it up in Genesis chapter 37, verse 12. So if you want to flip there, pop there on your iPad or whatever your device is. In Genesis 37, 12, it says, His brothers went to pasture their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pastoring the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And Joseph said, I will go. Okay, realize that Joseph was sent by his father on this grand adventure. And so then he said to him, Go now, see about the welfare of your brothers, the welfare of the flock. Bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And the mound found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. The man asked, What are you looking for? And he said, Well, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are? Pasturing the flock. And the man said, They've moved from here. And I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Father, we just come to you right now. And God, I just pray desperately that you would speak to us by the power of your spirit. I pray that you would just um, get me out of the way and the distractions that, that are racing through our minds. And that you would just be exalted. And that our thoughts would turn to you. And that you would just embed in each one of us, God, uh, the incredible truth that you have a purpose for us and it's beyond ourselves and you're doing incredible things in our lives and i pray that each person here would recognize that and walk that out boldly without fear thanks father in jesus name amen 
you see Joseph sent by his father and, and God's working and we can't really see the story behind the story and, and it's the same for us as it was for Joseph okay we, you know what God's doing is beyond our vision and that's okay but he puts us in places where he wants us and and just relax we don't usually get to choose the pathway that God uses to teach us that God uses to use us um, actually we often wouldn't choose that pathway but uh, but that's what God does and so many Christians are just bored with life they come on Sunday and they're bored till next Sunday and it's like this uh, almost to God's kind of irrelevant um, to us and, and it's because we are so focused on ourselves that that somehow we're yearning for some pathway to have this courageous life for Christ but we just don't have the conviction for it and so we're just living out our own lives but I, I as I've said before and I just want to pound this into us true courage is when we surrender to Christ when we walk with him on the path he provides and that takes courage because it forces us to go beyond ourselves and trust the Almighty God instead of ourselves and I tell you what if you begin your week with prayer for those who are in your world who don't know the Lord and you care about him and you look for what God's up to in their life and hear their stories and share you will not be bored you'll get to experience God in amazing ways and the important thing for us as we go forth realizing that God has sent us here God has placed us here listen this is not an accident that you're here right now in 2015 2016 not an accident this is a privilege but we do not have to fear do not have to fear it's all through the scripture but here in Genesis 37 17 they move from here and I heard them say let's go to Dothan and when I read that about Dothan I thought do not fear and you're thinking now that's pretty crazy you know that's crazy to think that do not fear let's go to Dothan but but I'll tell you why because you see Yahweh our God is the creator and we're his creation and we got to realize that the angels are created included the fallen angels are created Satan's created okay there's Almighty God who's overall and so if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ if you don't know Christ as your Savior if you've never put your faith in Christ um, I would be afraid okay I'd be afraid look around our world man I'd be afraid for your money who knows how long this economy is gonna hold up I would be afraid for your job or your business for your family I'd be afraid of the future I'd be afraid of the terrorists I'd be afraid of your health because who knows when they're gonna tell you you have cancer and uh, you have months to live who knows because everything that you have is tied to the stuff of this earth and the stuff of this earth is tenuous it's tenuous and it's fleeing and it's quick and we all see that but as believers we know Christ is our Savior do not fear I, I was talking to some people this week about John 14 20 and God just pounded it into my heart again but in John 14 20 Jesus is talking about sending the Holy Spirit he says in that day that's like today okay today Jesus says you will know that I am in my father and that you are in me and that I am in you okay so you get this picture we have this Yahweh this incredible God who's overall he doesn't have any limits any boundaries he's created the whole thing and Christ is in him and guess what as believers in Christ you are in Christ and and guess what the Holy Spirit is within you so anything that comes into your life anywhere along the way comes through God through Jesus Christ to you and then the Holy Spirit is with you do not fear there's nothing to fear God is not afraid and he is with you and so for Joseph he goes to 
Dothan, and we'll see there his brothers throw him in the well. We'll read about that in a minute, and they sell him as a slave. And what Joseph gets here at Dothan is silence from God. Silence from God. Do not fear. But also at Dothan, we have this picture of Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 6. And Elisha's this prophet of God. This is, you know, years later. And, and um, the Arameans are trying to capture him. And so they send this army and they surround the city. The 2 Kings chapter 6 verse 14. 13, 14. You can look it up later if you don't want to go there now. Just tell the story. I'll read quick verses. And so they said, go and see where he is, because I want to send the army to take him, the king said. And they said, he's at Dothan, the same place Joseph was, okay? And so the, the king sent horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night, and they surrounded the city. And the attendant of the man of God rose early, and he'd gone out, and behold, there's this army and horses and chariots, and they're circling the city. And, and he says, what are we going to do? Right? He's afraid. And so Elijah says to him, do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elijah prayed, and, and, and the Lord, he said, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when Elisha came to him, he prayed that the Lord would strike this people with blindness. And so he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. And Elisha basically sent them into uh, their, their hometown and fed them and set them free. But he got to see God move. And here, here's what I want us to get. Um, you see, God is overall. Everyone else is created. And you do not have to be afraid. But what you need to understand is God was caring as much in his silence for Joseph as he was caring for Elijah and his servant and he showed him this chariots of fire that are around him. You see, the chariots of fire are around us. God is surrounding us. And so the question I want to ask you is, can you trust God with his silence? Or do you need to see the chariots of fire to trust God? Can you trust God in his silence? Or do you need to see those chariots of fire? You see, God has a plan for Joseph. And he has a plan for you. And he's working. And we seldom get to choose when and how God uses us. Keep going in our story in Genesis 37, verse 18. It wouldn't be how we designed the plan, but they saw Joseph from a distance, his brothers did, and they saw him before he came close to them, and they plotted against him to put him to death, and they said, here comes this dreamer. Let's, throw, let's kill him. Throw him into one of those pits, and then we'll see a wild beast devoured him, and then let's see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard this, and he rescued him out of their hands, and he said, well, let's not take his life. So Reuben further said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit that's in the wilderness, but don't lay your hands on him. And Reuben was thinking that he might rescue them out of their hands to restore him to his father. So it came about, Joseph reached his brothers. They stripped Joseph of the robe of his tunic, his very colored tunic that was on him. And uh, they took him, and they threw him into the pit, and the pit was empty without water. And then they sat down to eat a meal. Okay, now these are his brothers, and you get the picture, right? They, they, they capture their brother. They strip him of his, his uh, robe, which that, that word in Hebrew is like strip, like skinning an animal, and they throw him into this pit. So what do you do then when you do that to your brother? Hey, let's have some lunch. Okay, that's what they did. It's pretty amazing, right? So they sat down and ate, 
And they raised their eyes, and, and they looked, and behold, there was this caravan of Ishmaelites. They're coming from Gilead with their, their, their camels bearing aromic gum and balm and myrrh, and on their way to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, What profits us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he's our brother. And his brothers listened to them. And so Midian traders came by, and they pulled Joseph out of the pit, and they sold him for 20 shekels of silver, and they brought Joseph down to Egypt. All right, they stripped him of his robe, they threw him into this pit, and they sold him as a slave. You see, what the brothers thought was ultimately they could derail God's plans. Right? We're going to teach this dreamer. We're not going to bow down to him. Our father's not going to bow down to him. We're going to teach him, and we're going to sell him as a slave. And I want to encourage you that no one, not even you, can screw up God's plans. Okay? I know we've all tried. <laughs> we've tried, but we can't. And, and realize as this is going on, when we see these things play out, that God doesn't create evil. Okay? He arranges it for good. And just because terrible things happen, it doesn't mean that God is not all-powerful or that he's not good or that he's not loving. His purpose will ultimately be revealed. Joseph needed to be lost to be saved. God was sending him ahead to save his family and to save millions of people. And, and that's what God was doing, even though it looked like a terrible thing. God still loves when terrible things happen, and he's not caught off guard, and he's not distraught. We live in this fallen world, but Satan is a creature. God is the creator. God is not caught off guard wondering what Satan's going to do next. And somehow the suffering that happens has an eternal purpose that we do not understand. It's like when the apostles were walking with Jesus on the earth and they saw the man born blind and they immediately want to use this as a case study who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. And of course Jesus said, neither sinned. This man's born blind. And Jesus said, neither sinned. Right? But it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so what has happened in your life that we may see the glory of God? What has happened in your life that we may see the glory of God? You see, the way this story ends, Joseph's in Egypt and he's running the country. All right? He's got the whole thing in his hands right below Pharaoh. And finally his brothers do come and they do bow down to him. And we'll look at this. But his brothers came, they fell down before Joseph and they said, We're your servants. And Joseph said, Don't be afraid. I'm not in the place of God. But he said to his brothers, ultimately, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So don't be afraid. I'll provide for you. I'll provide for your little ones. And Joseph comforted them and spoke kindly to them. See, that's how the story ends. But that's not how it begins. And we can't see the end. We can't understand what God's doing. And sometimes we see these horrible things and we just don't understand how could a loving God do this? How could this be part of God's purpose for me? But as we pursue him, all of a sudden we get to experience this dream. And we realize we're sent by our Father. We don't have to be afraid. He's working. He's on the throne. And we don't know what he's doing. And he's going to send us where he wants to use us. And it's amazing. And so with all of your experiences... You can just relax and realize this isn't about you, okay? This is about Almighty God. You've been bought with a price. And his best work often comes in our darkest times. And what we think is terrible, God uses for good. He impacts culture through you, his children. And I do believe God aches in our tragedies. 
I think he understands, I know without a doubt, he understands the consequences of sin better than you or me, better than anyone, because sin killed his son. Sin killed his son. He understands. And God hates sin. And so we have to ask, can he stop it? Absolutely. Can he stop the shootings? Yes. The terrorists? Yes. The bombings? Yes. Can he stop the poverty and the hunger? Yes. Can he stop the disease? Yes. And he will. But realize, as Peter shared, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, slowness, but he's patient toward you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. 2 Peter 3, 9. You see, God will stop all this in an instant, but at that time, the game will be over. That time, there's no more choice. There's no more chance. There's no more hope for any to come to know Christ. And the sides will be drawn, and it's done. And you will either be with Christ forever in eternity in heaven, or you will be forever separate from God. You know, this year we've been praying as for just the names, that, that basket up there, some of you, most of you know, is just different names that we've been praying for this year. And really God just put it on my heart. And every day as I read my Bible, I pray for these people. And it's amazing to see how many people come to faith. But the idea is just that every one of you gets to experience someone you love come to know Christ this year because there's such a thrill in that. But I tell you what, when God stops all this, it's over. There's no more hope for those who don't know Christ. The game's done. And it doesn't have to be this way, God says. He's provided a way to stop the pain. He's provided a way to stop the sin. He's provided a way to overcome death. We don't have to fear death through faith in Christ. And as we surrender to Christ, the Son of God, we do not have to sin. As in those moments when we abide and Christ lives through us, Christ does not sin. <laughs> and, and see, here's the deal, though. It takes courage to surrender to Christ. And I've said this many times, but I, I really believe that's why most people don't. They don't have the courage. You see, it takes courage to give up our own ways and to trust God. It takes real courage to do that. And most people won't do that. The answer to terrorism is to surrender to Christ, not to surrender your guns. Okay? And, and, and as Henry David Thoreau said, you know, we, we want to get to the root or just keep hacking at the leaves. You see, the root is we need to surrender to Christ. And the truth is, someday every knee will bow, someday every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I tell you what, everyone is going to bow before our Lord. But for now, we live in this fallen world. We're surrounded by sin. We're impacted by sin. We have the opportunity to sin. And we're often tempted to choose the path that leads to our glory. That's what we see here in the, in the brothers' lives. As we continue on in Genesis 37, 29, Reuben returns to the pit, and Joseph was not in the pit because they sold him, right? So Reuben tears his garments, and he returned to his brothers, and he said, The boy's not there. As for me, where am I to go? And so they took Joseph's tunic and they slaughtered a male goat and they dipped the tunic in blood and they sent the very color tunic and they brought it to their father and they said, we found this, examine it and see if it's your son's tunic or not. And Jacob examined it and he said, it's my son's tunic and a wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. 
And so Jacob tore his clothes and put on sackcloth on his loins, and he mourned for his son for many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, Surely I will go down to Sheol in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. You see, the brothers wanted to get rid of this, this brother Joseph. They didn't like that he was favored by his father. They didn't like that he was given this dream by God that was so countercultural that they would bow before him. They didn't like the fact that maybe someday he'd rule over him. They couldn't accept God's plan. And that so often happens to us. We can't accept God's pathway where he's placed us, where he's chosen to put us. And we think, why me? Or we're so envious of the path that he's given someone else, we think, why not me? Right? That can't be right. And we're so frustrated because we think, well, why do I get sick? Why do I have cancer and they're healthy? Or we think, what about this terrorism stuff? How can that be? Or we think, what about human trafficking? We think it's some new problem we're dealing with. Guess what we're looking at the story of Joseph? Human trafficking. He was sold as a slave, okay? The problems are not new under the sun. There is sin here because we live in a fallen world. Or we think, wow, how come I don't have prosperity like they have or success like they have or popularity like they have? Why not me or why me? And we decide to try and go our own way and fix things ourselves and we decide we know what's best. And we fight against God. And even though we don't realize we're fighting against God, but there are consequences for that. And for these brothers, they spent the next two decades plus, a few years, dealing with guilt every day. Right? They lived together as a community, tent city, guilt. Can you imagine that? Every time they thought about Joseph, guilt. Every time they were together, they were hoping someone didn't tell the father what they had done every time they went to the flock guilt every time they had to deal with the lies and the deceit they had just tried to deceive their father and jacob their father dealt with grief for the next two decades he'd lost his favorite son and we'll see as we look at joseph's life that he went into slavery he's 17 years old and he was a slave till he's about 30 and then he's running the country okay and, and and when he's about 39 years old, he's reunited with his brothers, more than 20 years later. And believe me, Joseph was free. That's what we'll see. He was free. He's able to forgive his brothers because he did. And so he extended that to them. He was free because his focus was on God, not on his circumstances. And so as we land this thing, as we close, I, I just ask the Holy Spirit to apply it to your life and, and realize, and I know we all come here with history, and you think your history is terrible maybe or you think it's great but you all have history and just know that god can use you and he's put you right here for his purpose and he will engage culture through you guess what you're his joseph of today you're his john his paul his peter his mary his lydia's of today and it's amazing what god can do it's by faith we're saved right by grace we're saved through faith it's just a gift of god and, and i i I want to read these, this verse to you because I think it's important and I just want to read it to you in Ephesians. It's like we have these memorized, but it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not a result of works that no one should boast. That's why we come to Jesus Christ through faith. If you've never done that, today's your day. Surrender to Christ. Just ask God to come into your life. It's as simple as saying, I have sinned. I need a Savior, Jesus. Please come into my life. And then... Paul writes this, we are his workmanship 
we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're not saved by good works. It's a gift of God. But we are his workmanship. It's his masterpiece, it means. His poem, his quilt. God's handmade work. That's who we are. And we're created for these good work which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, it's amazing the privilege that we have that God has called us here to this purpose, to his purposes right here on this earth right now. And he's, he's put us in these places, surrounded us with all these people in these different kind of cultures. And he wants to use each one of us uniquely there. He's created this. He works for him. He's given us the path to walk on. And we can just walk it out, trust him, realizing we're sent by our Father. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. Seldom do we get to choose that path. But, but God does, and he's going to use you. So just relax and surrender and watch what he's up to. It, it's amazing to think about what our God could do. And obviously, we have the choice to try and go our own way, and there's consequences. So I challenge you to resist that and to surrender to Christ. As we go this, this day and as we close, I, I ask that you would just begin your week with prayer for those in your culture that are lost. Care for them. And ask God to give you opportunities to share. Maybe it's just listen to their story. Maybe it's an opportunity to share how God intervened in your life in that similar circumstance. Uh, but it's amazing what he can do as we just shirk the love of Christ and do justice, really love God and love others. Father, I thank you for this privilege we have to, to be your kids in this world, at this time, in this culture. We are privileged that you have chosen us right now, surrounded with the circumstances that we face and the trials that we face and the challenges that we face. We thank you, God, that you have picked us to live right now. And God, I pray for each person in here that they would walk forth boldly without fear, that they would know that their hope is in Jesus Christ, that you are God, that nothing comes into their lives except for what comes from you somehow through you to Christ, to me, and then your Holy Spirit is with us. And that, God, you would use us to engage this culture with the love of Christ. And let us just uh, experience your incredible, incredible peace as we walk forth this day. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.